listening to a podcast from GravityChurch.com, Lodi, California. Well, I don't like them when they start pooping and it smells. I like it like before that point, and then I don't like them once they turn like 13. After that point, you can do something else with them. But I like them when they're cute and, and little like that. So how are you guys doing tonight? Man, can you guys say thank you to Melatonic for coming and playing some music tonight? Guys, man, amazing, amazing. They're uh, traveling all around. They're from Boise, Idaho. And um, one day I got this phone call randomly, and it was them. And they were just looking for churches to go and play at. And they found us on the Internet, and um, I'm really glad they did. And they're making their way around. They're staying at my house tonight and going up to Sacramento tomorrow. And um, so if you guys get a chance tonight, talk to them after the service. Buy some of their CDs. Buy some shirts and some merchandise. Support these guys because if we don't, they may not make it past Sacramento. So we want to make sure they get home. So make sure that you guys buy something tonight from them and, and, and uh, help them out. Pretty interesting talking to them a little bit beforehand. Um, I think, I don't know, two or three of the guys that are youth pastors back in in Boise, I asked them, you know, how did you guys get to know each other? How did you make the, you know, connection and this and that? And um, they all just kind of said, we just feel like God's just pulled us together for this thing. And if you go to their website and you go to their Facebook page, you'll find that, that their heart is very similar to our heart, which is connecting the body of Christ and seeing us become one and seeing us be able to see God do what he wants to do. <laughs> Super cool. So this last little season that we've been on, we've been going through some really, really interesting teachings from Jesus. He's been talking to us in depth on, on a weekly basis, and we've been kind of parking our thoughts in John chapter 17 for many, many weeks now, and it's been amazing to me at how when you think about the context of where this particular situation took place in the, in the life of Christ, in the life of his followers, it was towards the end of his time here on earth. In other words, you can kind of put yourself in this picture and you could say, okay, this is like one of the last really intense, complete conversations that Jesus is having with his followers. And it follows up with a prayer. He's talking to them intensely about his heart and about why he's here and why he's getting ready to leave and what's going to happen next when he leaves. But he wraps it up with a prayer. And we've been looking at this prayer and we've been looking at the heart of, of what Jesus was really saying because... One of the things that we've found through reading much of the teachings of Christ is that he came to speak to us, you and me here tonight, in a way that made us relate to each other and relate to God. We all came into this world with a disconnect from God. It may have come from the time we were born, maybe in the, in the family that we were raised in, but instinctively, we all came into this world with this disconnect from God that every moment of every day of our life, we have tried to get back. But the problem is, is none of us know that that's what we're trying to get back. And so what we do is we go through this whole world trying to figure out what it is, that missing piece in our life that we're missing. And so we look to the society that we live in. And the society that we live in says that you need to be rich and famous. And if you make enough money and people know your name, well then that thing that you're missing from the time that you were a little kid will be satisfied. Well, many of us know that it's not that easy to become rich and famous, and so we move on to the next thing. And maybe it's, I'll just have a family. I'll just have a relationship with the perfect man or the perfect woman, and we'll have the perfect kids, and we all know that doesn't work. And so we move on to the next thing, and next things, next things, next things. But all the while, 
We're trying to get back to that place that we all relate to, which is this missing feeling inside of our hearts that happened the day that we lost our daddy in the Garden of Eden. It's that missing component that can only be described as an ache or a longing inside that wants to be home, that wants to be back with our family, that wants to be someplace permanent and real. Because everything in this society and this world that we live in is so temporary. It's all fading away and it's always moving. And we want something solid. We want something legit. We want something that's not going to leave. We want our daddy back. And so we all relate to this. We all relate to this ache, this pain, this longing. And so when Jesus comes and he begins to talk to us in this teaching, he's talking to people that are the same. We're all the same. And so then he gets done with the talk and he begins to pray to his Father in heaven. And he says these incredible words as a summary of his prayer. He says to his Father in heaven, he says, he's talking to God and he says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. He talks to God and he says about you and me sitting here tonight, Jesus says, I pray that they would all be one. That was his parting prayer. That was his parting desire was that Jesus was saying that we would all be one. And so we've been going through lots of dialogue and lots of teachings and lots of principles and concepts and scripture to get us to that place to where we truly can understand what this means to be one. One of the things that we've learned is that in order for this to happen, we have to learn to trust God, but we also have to learn to trust each other with us, with me. We've learned that one of the biggest problems that has invaded God's family is that we don't trust each other. Lots of good reasons for it. We burn each other regularly. We say one thing and we do another. But Jesus' prayer was, Lord, bring them all together as one. Bring them together with perfect unity. And in order for that to happen, we have to learn to trust God and trust each other with us. And so we've been trying to learn what this means. Along the lines, we've learned that in the family of God, there are certain things that describe us as followers of Christ. There are certain things, characteristics about our family that are very unique to any other family in this world. One of the things that's unique to us is this thing called preemptive love. The kind of love that doesn't wait to be loved first. It's the kind of love that says, I'll go first. I'll go before anybody else. I will show you love even if you hate me. I will show you love even if I don't feel secure. I will show you love because I have been shown love. It's a preemptive love and it describes the family of God. And it's like no other love on this planet. In marriages, in relationships with friends, what kind of love do we mostly see and experience? It's the kind of love that says, I will love you, but first, the conditions have to be right. I will love you, but first, I got to make sure that you're going to love me back and I'm going to feel secure in this love. But the kind of love that describes the family of God says, you're going to learn how to have a preemptive love that goes first. And Jesus says like this, or in the book of John, it says, we love each other because he first loved us. He modeled for us a love that goes first. We've learned in Galatians, it says to share each other's burdens. 
We get to learn how to walk through life together as family and hold each other up. To truly go through life together with each other and to share each other's burdens. And what does that look like? And how do we involve ourselves? Is it messy? Oh man, is it messy. Is it, is it difficult? Is it absolutely. But the joy of learning how to depend upon each other when we commit and when we learn that our family is there. Last week we talked about this very, very intimate concept of confession. What does it mean to confess to each other? It talks about it all through the Bible. One of the most famous passages is in the book of James. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And we looked at a bunch of other teaching last week from Jesus that talked about confession and talked about the fact that we have to learn how to resolve our sin. Because unresolved sin is the number one reason that you and I, as the family of God, cannot connect with each other. Unresolved sin. Unresolved sin looks like this. If I, if I say something against my friend, there's two tr- parties in this transaction. Me, as the person who speaks it, I feel guilty for what I've said. My friend, on the receiving end of the hurtful words, feels hurt because of things I've said. And you have two parties that are both unable to move on because they have unresolved sin in their life. Jesus talked about it many times. And one of the most famous places he talked about it, he said, if you're at church and you are bringing your offering to God and you're going forward and you're getting ready to place it in the offering basket and you remember that you have something that you need to deal with in your life with somebody else, Jesus is so adamant about dealing with unresolved sin that he says, drop your gift, and go do that first. Don't bring your offering until you go and deal with your unresolved sin. It's a big deal, and it keeps us separated all the time. And we learned last week that confession is not just an admission to someone, but it's an invitation. It's an invitation for me to bring you into the deepest places of my life, Because in order for me to confess something to you, it means that there has to be trust. I got to know that when I go to you and I admit something about my life that's a defect or is a character flaw or is an addiction or a habit or something that I'm dealing with, I've got to know that I can trust you. And it's no longer just me saying, hey, okay, you caught me. I'm going to just come clean with something. It's, It's not just an admission. It's an invitation. And that's why in James it says, confess your sins to each other so that you may be healed. See, if it was just about confessing bad stuff, we would just line up a table in the back and you guys on your way out the door could tell me all the junk you did this week and we'd all be good. But that doesn't bring any healing. That doesn't get us anywhere. We want to be healed. I don't know about you guys, but I have no interest in just going to church. I have no interest in playing games with my life. I have no interest in just going through some kind of a religious exercise. If it's not going to take me to a place where I am broken and ultimately healed, I don't want any part of it. My life's halfway done, guys. I don't want to waste any more of it. I want to be healed. I want to be who I'm supposed to be. And that can only come when I learn to trust God and trust you with me. Man, it's scary stuff, isn't it? And so tonight, we're going to pick up from there. That was kind of a uh, summary. So any of you that haven't been here in the last little bit, you just kind of got a, um, a, a cram course on what we've been talking about. In John chapter 15, 
and verse 9, we begin tonight talking. And Jesus is saying these words, and he says to his followers, he says this to us tonight, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, then you remain in my love. And just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love, Jesus says to us tonight, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father told me, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Jesus says some really interesting things here. He's talking about this word love, but he says some really poignant things about the transaction between two people with this thing called love. First thing that he says as we read here is he says, I have loved you as I have been loved. Jesus says that. Jesus says to us tonight, to his followers, I have loved you just like I have been loved. Think about that. Many times we think of Christ and we think of, of what he was doing and we think of his role in Scripture and we think of where he was at in his journey on planet Earth and how his words affect us. And sometimes we have this huge disconnect like, but that was Jesus and I would never even come close to that kind of a life and, and that kind of a person. And that may be true in our, rea our reality as we know it, but the whole goal of everything that Jesus ever said and ever did and ever modeled for us was so that we could go and do the same thing. Everything that he did was saying, okay, guys, watch this. Boo, ready? Your turn, do it. And we were like, how did you do that? And he's just always going back to this, this concept of as you see me do, you get to do. Jesus never put himself up here in this hierarchical relationship where he's like, guys, don't even try. You'll never get this. Trust me. Just don't even attempt this. Jesus was always bringing God down to their level saying, come on, this is a relational thing. God wants you. And when I leave, God's coming and he's going to fill you and you will be able to do even greater things than what you see me do. That was Jesus's heart. And so when Jesus makes a statement, I want you to love each other just like I've loved you. And I love you like I have been loved, what he's saying is he's experienced a love from God that needs to be passed person to person. That the love that he has received, he gives it away. Very, very interesting. And then the other thing that he says is he says to us tonight, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. So Jesus is saying, I'm receiving something that I'm giving to you, and now it doesn't stop there. You love each other 
with this same dynamic that I've shown you, that I've given to you. What Jesus is really getting at here, what he is really modeling for us more than anything, is not how to show love. Jesus is modeling for us how to receive love. How to receive love. Jesus says these words. He says, I chose you. You didn't choose me. He says, I loved you before you loved me. Now, for many of us sitting here tonight, we don't know what I'm about to say about ourselves, but you'll probably agree with me once I say it. Many of us sitting here tonight would much rather offer a helping hand to somebody than to have somebody offer a helping hand to us. Many of us sitting here tonight are so eager to show kindness and love to others, even a perfect stranger. But when we find ourselves in a place of weakness and need, we are embarrassed for them to turn and show that same love and help and concern to us. Why is this? Well, this last week on Wednesday night, we've been going through this butt-kicking Bible study. I keep, I'm telling you guys, if you've got nothing going on Wednesday nights, I invite you into the pain. It is an arena of pain that we are going through on Wednesday nights. It is blowing our minds about ourselves and about our love for God and our love for each other. And this last week, I mean, I had, we, we kind of all meet together and then we kind of break up girls and guys and stuff because it starts to get really ugly. No, it doesn't, but it's, I had a group of guys that were just sitting here and we're just scratching our heads and looking at each other like, are you kidding me right now? I'm going to have to really ask these questions of myself. I mean, it's crazy, but we started asking ourselves, what do we need in our life? We started talking about the fact that one of the biggest pet peeves that we have is needy people, Right? Nobody wants to be a needy person. Nobody wants to be the needy friend. You know, it's like, oh, they're so needy. We started to realize what a cover-up that was. What a mask that was. We started to realize that the only true definition of love was when your needs are met. When you're meeting somebody's needs, you're showing them real love. In other words, I can't receive love from you until I'm willing to reveal to you what I need. And that is scary. I don't want you to know what I need. I don't even want to know what I need. I mean, this is like deep stuff to be able to try to think through in your life. What is it that we need as people? Jesus comes to us and he is modeling for us what it looks like to receive love and to understand that in this relationship, It is complete openness. There are no secrets. It is a complete transparency. It is a complete dynamic of opening oneself up. Now, obviously, that's difficult. Obviously, there's things that prevent us and hold us back from wanting to open up our lives. But this is the direction to healing. This is the direction to maturity. This is the direction to being able to accurately show love after you've learned how to accurately receive love. Everybody take a deep breath. It's okay. 
Love is the process of meeting needs. I want to love you. I really do. But in order for me to love you, I have to know what you need. And then I have to meet that need. I want to love you. Tell me what you need so that I can show it. Tell me what you need so that I can love you. In John chapter 21, it's a pretty famous little interaction that happens between Jesus and one of his followers, Simon Peter. Simon Peter was a really, really close friend of Jesus. And towards the end of Christ's life here on earth, Jesus and Peter have a conversation between two buddies. And and Jesus says to Peter, Peter, this is my paraphrase, Peter, things are going to get really bad. And everybody's going to take off and everybody's going to leave. And Peter looks at Jesus and said, I will never, ever leave you. I love you and I will never leave you. And Jesus says, Peter, you have no idea. But the day's going to come when you're going to disown me. You're actually going to deny that you even know who I am. And he says, you'll know it because there's going to be a sign. You're going to hear a rooster crow. And before it crows, you're going to deny me three times. And if you've ever read the story of the crucifixion and what led up to it in the Gospel of John, you read the depiction of of all of Jesus' disciples being scattered because this intense persecution comes on the scene and the government literally begins to take them into captivity and make them prisoners and saying, we're going to, you know, do horrible things to you if you're a follower of Jesus. They all just scatter. And Peter's standing there and they say, you're one of them. You know Jesus. We're about to, let's arrest him. And he's like, no, bad. You're bad. No, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. And three times he denies Christ. So they've got a little bit of unresolved sin, right? They've got some stuff they got to work through. They've got some relational drama that's a part of their relationship. And so the story goes on and, and, you know, some incredible events happen, some miraculous events happen, and they get reunited. They come back together. And in this coming back together, you know, Peter, I can just imagine his head tilted down and he's just like, I cannot look Jesus in the eye. There's no way I'm going to look Jesus in the eye because I just know what he's going to say. He's going to be like, I told you so. No, he wouldn't do that. But I just don't even want to look at him. And so they come together and it says in John 21 verse 15, after breakfast, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. And then Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Story goes on from there, and Jesus says some more things to Peter, gives him some prophetic words about his future. 
But it's very interesting that Jesus, the teacher of this concept of love, that Jesus, the one who models for us what it is to love each other and what it is to receive love and what it is to receive love from God and then to pass it to each other and then to give us the mandate and the teaching and the instruction that now you go and do what you've seen me do. It's very interesting that Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? It's very interesting that when Peter responds, yes, I love you, that Jesus gives him something to do. See, love is not just a word that's spoken. And love is not just an emotion that is felt. Love is not something that happens when I'm happy and smiling and it doesn't happen when I'm down and depressed. Love is much more basic than that. Love is me knowing you and knowing what you need as a person and then meeting that need. That is the demonstration of love. See, I can do some kind things for you that you don't need. And they're kind. And they're genuine. And they're from a heart of concern. But you won't receive it as love if it's not something that you need as a person. I can't sit here and tell you definitively that Jesus was telling Peter, Peter, I need you to take care of my sheep. But I can tell you definitively that Jesus was asking Peter to do something. I can tell you definitively that in this conversation, Jesus wasn't saying, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Jesus, you know I love you. And Jesus says, that's good. Give me a hug. Jesus was saying, then here's what I need. I need you to take care of my sheep. I need you to feed my sheep. I need you, Peter. This is what I need. And if you love me, please, Peter, do this. See, there's a vulnerability that has to take place in order for us to come together. There is a vulnerability that must take place in the family of God in order for there to be unity. We've talked extensively about the fact that unity does not mean that we are all the same. As a matter of fact, it's the complete opposite. In our world, we think in terms of unity that everybody says the same, everybody does the same, and everybody believes the same, and then they're united. But my friends, that is not the unity of the family of God. The unity of the family of God that Jesus prayed for to happen takes into consideration and celebrates our differences and our diversity. It celebrates the fact that we come from every nation and every tribe and every tongue and we come together under the banner and under the love of God and that in our differences that we are united. There is nowhere else on planet earth that that can happen except for through the love of God. Nowhere else that that is even a possibility. And that's why God said, Jesus said, I want the world to see the love of God and it can only happen if my family comes together. If they are united, the world will see Jesus. What has the world seen, especially in the Western church in America? They have not seen an an accurate representation 
of the love of God. They have not seen an accurate display of Jesus because we are so disjointed and we are so separated. Why? Differences, unresolved sin, competition, arrogance, pride, the list goes on and on and on. But I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is coming back to this earth someday. And I believe with all of my heart that he's coming back for what he calls in Scripture his bride. And I believe with all of my heart that in order for that to take place, there has got to be a unification of the body of Christ. And it is a beautiful thing to watch beginning to happen all around me. I pray all the time for all of the churches of Lodi to come together and for the pastors to begin to see a picture that is bigger than just their congregation, to see a congregation that is millions and millions of people worldwide all coming together, preparing themselves for the last meal that we will all celebrate that will never end when we will all gather around the great throne of God, singing his praises and gathering for the great banquet, one large happy family, family reunion like nothing else. But it starts right here, right now, on a small basis with me looking you in the eye and telling you, as your brother, I am committed to walk through this life with you no matter what comes. I am committed to you. I can't fix you. I can't solve your problems. I can't undo the family that raised you. I can't take away your addictive tendencies. I can't change the things that you have picked up in this world. I can't undo the unforgiveness that you wrestle with. But I can walk through this life with you, and I can help you no matter what happens. And when we begin to do that for one another, when we begin to make that kind of commitment, and we begin to unload the heavy loads that we carry every day, and we begin to trust, and we begin to forgive, and we begin to resolve the sins that we have between us, my friends, unity comes. Togetherness comes. And I begin to love you because I really know you, and I know what you need. Would you pray with me? You've been listening to GravityChurch.com. 